Welcome to the Flicks and Scoops podcast. I'm Ash, and I'm modging together films and ice cream because I can. I ask my guests to select a film, I make an ice cream influenced by the film, and then we talk about the film and eat the ice cream. Up today, we have the brains and brawn responsible for the vagitators. They're looking through a feminist lens at the queen of the universe, Barbarella. Heads up on a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Barbarella and you want to check it out before enjoying this episode, then I'd recommend it. But make sure you hurry back or you'll never forgive yourself. Now slip into your silver swimsuit and strap on your interstellar gator skin boots as we blast into Flicks and Scoops episode 13. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Flicks and scoops. <laughs> <laughs> Good start. This time on the show, my guests are a smorgasbord of... <laughs> 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 this is going to be a long recording session. Yeah, they're a smorgasbord of nationalities. So we've got un peu français, un yeah. poco espanol, uh, a dash of American, and a sprinkle of English. However... They do share some similarities. Not only do they both have heads, they're both the intersectional feminists behind the vagitators. Please welcome to the show, Gina Barnaby. How are we doing? Great, great. Good. Uh, I need to start with an apology because I must admit, this is the worst bloody ice cream <laughs> ever made. Yeah. Please, please be honest, I know it tastes like shit. To be um, fair, it doesn't taste like much. Well, I was trying to be uh, all experimental and stuff. Mm. So the the vagitators chose Barbarella, the film of choice. Mm. And the ice cream that I did, also it had to be vegan, which I think is also a little bit of the problem. Thought, what do they eat in the film? Nothing. Orchids. <laughs> Orchids. Oh, so oh. one thing that they eat. Yeah, um, right. So they don't taste. Have much. you have you had the um, Turkish elastic? Ice cream. Tell- Dondoma <laughs> is called. Okay. The way that they make the elasticity is through a flower that comes from the orchid. <gasps> Whoa. Da, da, da. So that's what I tried to do. But I think without dairy. <laughs> it Gina's is- going at it. She's like, it's weird because it sort of coats your lesbian moment. It coats your throat in something. <laughs> not not un- unsimilar to sperm. <laughs> oh, I mean, not in taste. It doesn't taste of anything. No, in, but in the, the, the base is a, the base is cashew nuts. It is sparkly oh. though. I mean, I dusted it with some glitter. Yeah, love it. Ed, edible, edible glitter, not like face oh. glitter. <laughs> well, we were eating it anyway yeah. before that. I think I've eaten a lot of face glitter in my time. Now the bullshit about the ice creams out of the way. Mm. Let's just forget about that. Gina May is a classically trained opera singer. As well as a performance artist, aren't we all? Which uh, came nope. first? Sorry. <laughs> 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 it's a very specific thing I trained in. <laughs> um, which came first? Was it the opera singing or the, the performance art? Did uh, sort of... I mean, I think I've been a performance artist my whole life, but um Chicken and egg, really. But I but I trained as a classical singer. I did my bachelor's and my master's in at conservatoire and then chose to move in a more contemporary music uh, performance art space because I found the, for me, the classical opera world a little constraining to my creative talents. Okay. Yeah. And where are you performing these days? I mean, nowhere um, because they're nowhere because they're Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I actually am performing a lot uh, during these times. No, I'm not performing at all because our industry has been completely uh, paused. Slash, we hope not stopped, but paused. But um, hopefully in 2021, we'll be performing, doing a choreographed version of Stimmung's, a Stimmung by Stockhausen, which is a overtone piece for six singers and six microphones, but with dancing. Okay. So hopefully that will come, I'm, I'm guessing, in June sometime. Hopefully at the beginning of next year, I'm also going to start working on a project as a dramaturg um, with Opera Lab Berlin, who I perform with a lot. 
So it's all stuff in the pipeline and it just depends on what happens with COVID, to be honest with you. Yeah. Barnaby is a project manager by day. Woo! By slightly later in the day. <laughs> he's, a yeah. he's a stand-up comedian. Tell me, does art imitate your life or does your life imitate your art? Well, stand-up comedy really takes a lot of personal experiences or at least the one that I do. <laughs> um so yeah my art imitates my life but also <gasps> oh um i think you have to use a lot of artistic capabilities in your own real life in order to navigate it better do you do stand-up comedy at work when you're giving presentations and stuff? Uh, i mean it, it i really think it utilizes a lot of the same skills especially mm-hmm. project management i think like the key to making people laugh is to make sure that they understand what you're saying because like if somebody's thinking they're really not laughing or they're not laughing about the message that you're trying to convey and maybe about something else which is also okay um but i think project management is just also really making sure that people understand what you're talking about so they actually do the thing that they're supposed to do. do the bloody job yeah exactly <laughs> and what's the romantic story behind you two met were one of you carrying a lot of papers and one of you bumped into him and then it was a beautiful meet cute I just ordered a um dirty, dirty chai. chai a dirty chai at uh, the um vegan canteen and in walked in walked a a presence I would say that made me turn around and as she turned around the presence that's me <laughs> um noticed what was written on her t-shirt at that vegan cafe and the t-shirt read crush the patriarchy <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of knew we would get along yeah. and then we 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 were doing this um yoga teacher training together and we sneaked out <laughs> to eat cheese at lunch. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the meat cute. Really. It was, yeah, then, Parmesan. The rest, the rest is history. Yeah. I thought people would judge me, so I had to go eat in yeah. the park. I needed some fresh air. Yeah, Jesus. So we do, we're doing it here in Berlin. Yeah. yeah. We had a lot of chemistry. Yeah. But, um, but Barnaby sat at the back and I sat at the front. Straight off the bat, could you maybe just briefly describe intersectional feminism and how you two fit into that bubble? I can't. Keep it brief, but I will try. Um, feminism is the radical idea that women and men are equal in anything that they want to do and should be treated equally in their journey to achieving whatever they want. Intersectional feminism um, kind of is like a new or a newer generation of feminism compared to the women's liberation movement. So the women's liberation movement was really about liberating a certain kind of woman, and it really did that. So mostly feminism, like empowered women today, are white, cisgendered um, women. And intersectional feminism really emphasizes the idea that it's not just about women. If women really want to be free, we have to not just talk about women, but about women X, and also consider race and class and disability and religion as part of feminism. So for example, um, you can't call yourself an intersectional feminist if you don't consider a sex worker as your equal or a trans woman as your equal or a trans man as your equal. So it's just like kind of still working with the feminist values of the women's liberation movement, but really trying to apply that as best as we can um, and using our privilege to make space for other um, disenfranchised groups. I mean, I thought I had like a basic understanding of it, of it being like a a way in which to frame different aspects of a person's life to see how they merge into uh, different forms of discrimination. Mm. So, or privilege even. It is that, it's just that, I think when you call yourself an intersectional feminist, or at least what the way we want to see it in our practice of feminism is that not only do we want to to notice the dynamics of power around us, but we want to act on them to make sure that we have more space. It comes from a selfish need, yes, Mm -hmm. but also questioning would that apply to, you know, like my sisters that don't have the same level of privilege as me. 
So this is kind of that. But yeah, intersectionality is this idea that you can have race, class, disability, size, religion all at once, and it all comes together. And when you apply it to activism, it's just not only making it about you and your own um, like marginalization and alienation, but also considering other sections of the spectrum. Right, right. And together you've recently started this Vagitators project. Yes. What the hell is that all about? <laughs> so the Vagitators podcast is, I would say, is a little bit a brain occupation I've had for probably three years. For about three years, I've been wanting to create a theatre piece about female dictatorship. And I found every time I broach the subject to write about it or to try and apply for grants to, to, to actually do the piece, I found I was, I was always lacking something. I, had, I didn't have enough information at my fingertips. I hadn't, I hadn't explored enough the subject. And so I was talking with my good friend Barnaby and um, she said, why don't we do a podcast? And my thought was, this is such an awesome opportunity to record, document, all of the exploration into into the idea of female absolute power and female dictatorship that I can take a community of people along with us through this whole journey and we can discover together what it means, what we think power means, what we think absolute means, what we think dictatorship means, and hopefully we can create or our aim, our mission statement is to create a role, role model for women X of a female absolute power. So are you taking different aspects from different uh, people and trying to mold them all the into idea, one? Or? The idea is basically at the moment we're doing that we've, I mean, we've, we're very fresh, fresh out the oven podcasters. Um, and so at the moment what we're doing is speaking to different members of the Women X community uh, usually to do with a story they've had or an encounter they've had with absolute power or lack thereof. And also they bring each week a different champion of someone they think could be crowned as a vagitator, which is a absolute power figure who does not identify with a penis, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally. I, I would say the ultimate goal of what we're trying to achieve, be it with the podcast or the performance, is to really help people maybe notice the dynamics of power around them um, and and maybe realize, well, you know what, like I've been doing this for a long time and I really don't feel comfortable in my gender, in my expression of myself and kind of help them navigate that and, and look at what inspiration they can bring into their own lives. I think it's tremendously inspiring to work on this topic so i hope it's also inspiring to listen to those stories it's cool for me because i don't actively avoid discussions uh, or media about this kind of topic but i wouldn't necessarily think oh i'm gonna listen to a podcast about xyz but you know like the conversation and different people's opinion on how they perceive power and or how the class gender, race, system we live in affects them. It's just points of view that I think probably I wouldn't be privy to day to day. Absolutely. And this is the thing, this is what we're trying to, because when I, I kept having conversations with people where these four or five big names of dictatorship would come up, and in, and in loads of conversations, I mean, I think particularly, obviously, because we live in Germany, but his name would come up all the time, like just in, in a joke, in reference, in, in anything, when it, it's just a pretty constant mm. reminder that the, the example most of us have as huge absolute power is still male. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is what I was asking myself is, if that image is so strong in people's head, can we ever achieve any kind of equality? Because that imbalance is like in our historical subconscious is too strong. So my hope is that, and our hope as the vegetators is that we can present some ideas of me, that me people can take inspiration from and maybe eradicate and this imbalance a little bit. And and also like I think we're really trying to swim against the current of the creation of knowledge and the creation of, of like the dynamics of creations in media by working mostly with with uh, women and women X and not really giving 
so much space to the white cis male voice and um, really, I mean, it's not that hard for us to find women next to talk to. Uh, it's hard to, to kind of branch out into um, other communities that we don't yet have access to, but this is something that we want to work mm. towards and really like talk to sex workers, talk to like have these voices heard. And I think what's what's been super interesting in our podcast is that every time we have done an outreach to someone, the, the first answer is, well, actually, I don't have so much to say about it. Okay. And then the next sentence will be a slap in the face of a dynamic of power that is so outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, but the very first reaction of these communities is to say, well, my voice is not really relevant. I get a sense of accomplishment when I think that we put those voices out there, be it for like 50 listeners. That's fine with me. Have you, uh, have you had any trolls yet other than me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. It's, it's not so much out in the open. It's just that we're very protective of our guests. Like they share stories that are difficult, that mm. are sometimes really painful and um, a comment can really quickly be misinterpreted um, as something maybe a little bit aggressive or something questioning um, their reasoning, etc. And they're also very weary of what they say and how it comes up. Mm. So I think, yes, we've had a few comments. Um, we're trying to navigate that gracefully, but... Yeah, I think also we're, like I say, like very much fresh out of the oven. So... It's for us, it's a huge learning curve. And I think um, this basis that we're, we're trying to learn and discover with our audience also means that we that for me, I think as a performer, I find it easier to give myself time because this is like, it's almost practice. Like this is, we we have to learn these things by doing and, and you know, neither of us are trained interviewers we're not journalists we're not historians we just like talking <laughs> we just love talking and i came up with a really great name for a podcast <laughs> <laughs> um but it's a learning curve and i think our i haven't had any real i mean apart from you obviously i haven't had any real trolls that have that have really in the classical sense of a social media troll yeah i think my initial reaction when i when we've had comments even like your comments, to be honest with you, it, like on our early Instagram days, it was it was like, oh, shit. Now we have to deal with that. Now we have to deal with that. But part of dealing with that is part of what I want to do, which is I want to put out this, this also give women an opportunity to believe that they can, they can talk freely without feeling constantly like they have to have fact-checked or checked with who they're talking, you know, if they're, they're saying a story about, you know, someone that they know, whatever, that they're, they're checking with them, that it's okay, and always double-crossing double, double crossing themselves yeah. because I think they then don't actually often just say what they mean. And I think because we, we, tend to, we tend to put more forethought into what we say, I think it's actually a very good experiment just to, just to start talking. And, and we, we do, like, we do want feedback. Well, even as a subject, it's always developing anyway. Exactly. So yeah, totally. Continual totally. conversation. Isn't it? Yeah. But it's also, like, it's just so cool to see how fast the, the lines are moving for our audience. And, I mean, we, we get some feedback that is obviously very positive, um, because it's uh, our friends are the mm. ultimate audience right now, but just mm. having them understand things differently and like having maybe little breakthroughs on their own understanding of their identity is very rewarding and it's making us want to do this better, mm -hmm. definitely, with more structure, better sound equipment. Mm. Well, I must say I'm a big fan of your theme tune. Thank oh, you. Nina <laughs> Josh. I was, I was wondering <laughs> if you maybe took... Any influence from Portrait of a Lady on Fire? <laughs> we, did. <laughs> we did. We did. She was on our mood board. I thought yeah. so. I thought so. Yeah. As was the Bulgarian female choir, I must say. Okay. Like, but, and, and I would recommend anybody that hasn't listened to the female Bulgarian choir to immediately Excellent. go to YouTube and right find now. videos. Well, not right now. Listen to yeah, the yeah, episode. Obviously. And then, <laughs> and then treat yourself yeah. to a spectacular female chorus it's it's fantastic it's yeah are you both singing on the track no no what's the makeup of it who's nina, nina it's just well. nina oh it's just one, one yeah. Oh, yeah okay cool yeah she's a genius nice were you gonna ask us to sing it now 
No, I was okay, going to say good. one. Because we've been preparing. Oh, I've been. She's was, cho- chosen a way too tricky <laughs> harmony for us. <laughs> I was going to do mine. Oh. Have you got a... Ba-ba, ba potatoes. <laughs> going to peel your dick like potatoes. Yeah. Mullet over. Mullet over. Barbarella? Mr. President, in just a minute I'll slip something on. Don't trouble yourself. This is an affair of state. On we roll with the pre-approved questions, if you'd be so kind. Um, so first up, are you a flicker or a scooper? Mm, I think I'm probably a scooper. Scooper. Yeah. Are you a flicker? Yeah, I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, yeah. Shit, sorry. Well, yeah. dream team then, really. Yeah! <laughs> so then, are you a cup or a cone person? Cone. Cup. Look at you two. You've fucking rehearsed this, haven't you? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. No. It's just that we have a lot of natural chemistry. When you go to an ice cream shop, you've got one scoop to choose. Yeah. What what flavour are you picking? I know yours. Are we getting guessing each other? You're not she's not going for the vegan version. I just want to put that on the record I don't for blame the yoga you. studio. I do not blame you. <laughs> Yoga people, she she won't won't go vegan. You mean you're not going to choose a scoop of Barbarella ice cream? Can I just... (laughs) I have have a little bit of it. I know this is an easy question, but I have a little... If I am in a place that serves coffee Heath Bar ice cream, which is only in the States, okay, okay, then that is my, my ice cream of choice always. Always. Coffee Heath Bar, chocolate jimmies, in a waffle cone. I didn't understand. Did you just make anything? all of that up? Yeah. <laughs> is this a new language? Is this Esperanto? This is for the American listeners. They'll all understand it. Chocolate like jimmies. Two of them. Hey, hurry up with those chocolate jimmies, eh? Yeah. <laughs> chocolate jimmies? Yes. Well, what are they? I'm from the East Coast, hundreds and thousands, but chocolate hundreds and thousands. Sprinkles. Mm, sprinkles. <laughs> oh. International I, audience, keep the French people in mind. Okay. They're coming I, I, sorry. en masse. Un bal glace, un bal glace. Pour toi is no, is that... yeah, yeah, no, that's correct. <laughs> it's just you have to know that French people are terrible at hearing other French people, uh, other people slaughter their language. It's like it's really painful for us. I'm sure. I mean, my French is bloody awful. No, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, vegan, preferably um, peanut butters. Yeah. So we've got a scoop of coffee Heath bar. Jimmy's. With chocolate jimmies in a waffle cone and peanut butter something. Is ice cream usually your snack of choice at the cinema? Ooh, no. I'm going to say mm, definitely not. Popcorn is my. Oh, no. <laughs> no. And I'm a what? salted popcorn kind of girl. Salted ah, as well. Salty I mean, popcorn. Do, whatever. Whammy. Popcorn, Double you're whammy. out. We can't be friends anymore. You make noise. That's noisy. Not... There we go. Tell me what your snack of choice is. Nothing. <laughs> I don't like to eat. I can't do two things at once. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, but, like, do you drink? On. Do you drink at the cinema? Do a nice yeah, I, if I in Germany, I will drink wine or a beer. Um, and I think in France, maybe like a diet coke or something. But then I have to pee, so it's really like no, no. I'm coming for the movie, or to get a break from people. So. <laughs> And do you go to the cinema often? <laughs> do you like do you like getting breaks from people? Yeah, I mean it depends. Um, when I was in a relationship, yes, <laughs> that's the best thing. When you have a fight, put your uh, phone. Pro tip: anybody in a relationship, you have a fight, just storm out, plain mode on the phone, go catch a movie. I promise you, when you come back, the flat is clean. There's dinner waiting for you and flowers. This is um, how I've managed this 15 years of my life. Wow. And you? Do you go to cinema? I really, really, I think my biggest treat to myself is a deluxe cinema experience, Ooh. which I don't feel like I found. Is this an American so, thing? So What's that? Where I, where I grew up in London, there's, there's a cinema called the Electric Cinema, which has incredible, huge, big, like, it's kind of like, like lazy, lazy boys, boys but yeah, like yeah, yeah. really beautiful, plush, red velvet lazy boys yeah. and Ooh. footstools and like to your chair service. I was about to say call it a table service, but there's no table. <clears throat> so they come take your chair order. Chair service. Ooh, it's like yeah. an it's the bomb. It's the bomb. This, this is really like, 
and to be honest with you, what but what's my, a little bit my problem is that because I love that experience so much, going to just a sort of normal cinema always feels kind of a little bit ear. So um, I have to really, if there's a film I really want to see, I've got to make sure I'm finding it with the plush sofa and the chair service. And I just, I think that's my ultimate treat. On Windstrasse, I think, um, there's, you can privatize this like three chair movie theater. Mm. Hinterhof Kino, I think it's called. Yeah, as I've mentioned, pri- you chose Barbarella. <laughs> we but, did. But why? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think Barnaby should take this because this, yes. it was her choice. It Ooh, was my Did choice. you get railroaded into this? To be fair, I mean, I don't know if the, your listeners need to know that I didn't know who you were. So <laughs> I think you were going to ask me what my choice of film would be. So I, I bowed to her superior knowledge. And to be honest with you, Fonda, and I'm there. You say Fonda, she's down. Boom. I do Jane Fonda workouts all the friggin' time. By the way, I do Jane Fonda workouts. <laughs> <laughs> Just if your listeners are trying to get an idea for what my physique is. Very similar to Jane Fonda. Um, so why Barbarella? Um, I think it's a great movie. <laughs> that's a good start. Well, there you go. No, I think it's a movie that's really picking up steam. Um, I think right now in in fashion and in aesthetics, there's this huge comeback of um, late 60s, 70s, yes, but also the camp movement and like mm-hmm. um, this kind of like over-dramatization, um, really interesting maximalism. Maximalism, yeah. Um, where understated is overrated. And I was, I, I'm... Um, a big fan of the Instagram influencer, Jonathan Firstman. And I was reading this um, Architects Digest uh, of his house, like article on his house, and he made his entire bedroom like the opening scene of Barbarella. Mm -hmm. And then it just made me want to rewatch it. And I thought it's also a great movie because I was really hoping for peanut butter ice cream. But it's okay. Sorry. Oh, Sorry right, to disappoint, sperm. but um, peanut butter. But what? But why? What? Why peanut butter? Because it's great. No, no, no. I agree. I love peanut butter. But how would it fit into the context of the film? It doesn't. Just really. the, but the text. When you see the opening scene and the furry thing, you don't think of peanut butter. Is it just my obsession, or you know, like when the, <laughs> the spoon color. lifts up, when the spoon lifts up from the jar, and then you have the imprint of the spoon, but like, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then that's a precisely the Barbara fur. Excuse me if you mm. don't see the connection. I can't do anything for you at this point. <laughs> yeah, I would say color-wise, you're bang on. Not just color. Texture, you know like flavor, fur it's is warm, and it's like... Mm. The only problem with the nut butter thing was uh, potentially the wrong connotations. Mm. Oh, we're nuts Testicles. for nuts. So. We are nuts for nuts. Well, so. Why? We there are testicles well, not, in the film. You know, slang yeah, for but so jism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is I think it? it works. A slang word for jism is nut butter. No, yeah. I think nut butter nut is cream. when a man is sweating and then there's this like nut cheese. No, that's smegma. Moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I'm glad Winter. you didn't do smegma. Okay. Do you, do you remember the first time that you saw it? Yes. Tell me. It was in a bar. In New York City. Um, it's called Beauty Bar. It's at the corner of 14th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. It's struggling right now. So if you want to support Beauty Bar, mm-hmm. well, you'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, it's a really great bar. And they sometimes, like they do a lot of things, um, but they sometimes play uh, movies. Like it's usually like this Porno chic, not chic, porno aesthetic um, that's just playing in the background and then everybody's just kind of dancing around and they were playing Barbarella and I thought it was a really cool movie visually. So that's when I saw it first. I didn't see it fully first, but I... That's when you were aware of it. Yeah. 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 No, it's a great film to have on the 
Yeah, as a background. Yeah, the the sets. Yeah, the sets and the costumes are just so ah on another planet. Has the film had an influence on your life at all? No. Yes. That's why I always wear my leotard over my tights. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know, it's a really great tip is actually if you wear your underwear over your tights, then you prevent the sag. I know. Yeah, it it is a great tip. I think it's a great. So So, so when your tights fall down down and then it's like really not comfortable. And so that's really, and then you could end up having to like pull them up pull all day. Pull it up. And okay. That. Yeah. Or like. You avoid that if you wear a leotard over the over. top of the tight. Or but just to be underwear. Fair, any underwear, mm, really. It's true. Fonda's been teaching me that her whole life. What do you think the film meant for women at the time? And how do you think that's changed? I can't really speak for women at the time. Yeah. But um, I can speak to the history or the context that was uh, going on at the time, and then maybe we can try to strategize over mm. what they were thinking. So I think the the first thing that you need to know about Barbarella is that it's a it's a, an Italian French production that's uh, recorded in English. I would say American English. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like most of the accents yeah. are American English. So. Um, it's directed by Roger Vadim, uh, who is a Frenchman. Jane Fonda is the lead, and she's an American actress. So, so there's a lot of influences there. Uh, but the, what is interesting is that the money to produce the film, film comes from France and Italy. And it's uh, released in 1968. The Nouvelle the Law is the law that in 1967, for the first time, one of the major laws around contraception is overturned. So in the 1920s, there was a law in France that prevented the dissemination of any informative material about contraception. So if you were going to talk about birth control pill or any method of birth control, you could go to jail or you would be fine. I'm not sure which one of the two, but whatever. Mm. Um, In 1967 is when the the pill, so the contraception pill that you take every day to regulate your hormones and the production of an ovary, um, is allowed in France. So this is a huge revolution for women because it means that their their body and the act of reproduction can be recreational. It's not anymore just about making babies. So um, or or the risk of making babies or the desire of making babies. It really decouples sex from reproduction. And this is a huge change in in how women can lead their lives and the decisions that they can make and the careers that they can have. So I think this is the turning point in women's liberation or in the limit, women's liberation movement is this ability to have sex recreationally and be liberated from the burden of reproduction. So that's, I think, a key element to, to the movie is this turning point. Um, how was it received? I think it takes more than one year for people to change their mentalities about sexuality, about um, their own oppression, their own space in society, etc. So I can't really speak to that. But mm. I was just curious to get your reading on it, really, because I thought it was almost kind of muddled, the ideas it was putting forward on sex, like these pills that they take back on Earth. Well, like you said, it's showing that sex isn't just about um, reproduction mm-hmm. anymore, but doing it with the pills was this soulless lovemaking as opposed to, you know, the old mm. the old way. Right. Like, this is obviously the commentary of a man on the pill, like I, you can just see from the way it's written. I, I mm. think that, um, but it's funny because anecdotally, I do still know, I'd say three men who I know who say that it is a more exciting prospect to have sex when there's the possibility that you could have a child. Mm. Like not risk averse people, so I think <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> but they get this free of of excitement, and I think I definitely think there's a wave of of patriarchal thinking that was kind of like if you take this away, somehow you take away the excitement of sex, and I think it 
it could have also been propaganda to stop women taking the pill. I think something that's also interesting in the context is that in the 60s, Barbarella was a comic book um, by mm. Jean-Claude Forrest. And I think like the way she expresses her sexuality in the comic book is just much more empowered than it is in the movie because mm. also okay. it's a different medium. But Serge Gainsbourg has a song about, um, or where he mentions Barbarella, it's called Qui est in, qui est out, great song. Mm -hmm. um, but he does mention that Barbara, okay, you're, you're like this warrior, but if you don't comply to what I want from you, uh, I'll send you back to science fiction. And I think it's this idea that's like, yeah, you just got this, but we can also take it away mm -hmm. at any time. Like there is a good old natural way in which you don't have this power and we can claim it back just like that. Like if you see also what's happening in Poland right now, I think it's mm -hmm. I don't know, yeah, either consciously or, or subconsciously, it was positing this notion of women having more freedom, particularly when it comes to sex. Um, but then it was it also saying that like dildos, birth control, you know, there's a boom in sex industry at the time. Is mm. it saying that this is a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah, like I said, it just kind of seems a bit muddled. I, I, I think it, but I think it's also muddled because it's obviously a timepiece. Mm. And I think you're, you know, that, but that's actually what's so interesting about it is that, that you can, because there's still so much to work on with, with a woman's right to choose and all these sorts of things, all these sorts of issues have still so far to go that you can still watch Barbarella and take a different part of a reproductive politics or gender politics and still, and still gain something from it. And we, we also have to keep in mind that it's like Roger Vadim's interpretation of the women's liberation movement and mm. he like i i do think he was a like a progressive spirit at the time but he is also like this very um very wealthy from like this aristocratic russian descent mm. his sexuality is very much of the time but also the way he exhorts power on jane fonda and their relationship is a bit messed up yeah it's his point of view and And I think we should really kind of remember who, who makes the media piece that we're watching and, mm -hmm. and what impact their worldview has on the piece. Mm -hmm. So then do you think she's a feminist icon or masturbatory fantasy? I would like to say Please. that um, I don't see why you can't be both. And... Also, I'd like to say that I, I, would, I feel disappointed or that neither. those are our two options. <laughs> um, I feel this question needs a little bit of more thought. Uh, no, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I think you can't, you can't watch Barbarella and not accept the fact that they are making a, a point of her female form. As something that But is also how amazing, how amazing is it to see a woman save the world? When when I was a little girl, I was watching uh, a lot of animes. I had a bigger brother, so that also really influenced my choices. But I had a like I had to watch animes and cartoons, and really the only hero I could identify with is the dog in Tintin. That's like that was who I could identify with because there are no strong female figures and. At that, there are none that look like me, which, I mean, I have really big curly hair. I'm like maybe a little bit darker for a French person, but there was nobody on the screen that looked like me. And how empowering is it to see someone that you can be like, yeah, this, I want to be that. And, and men I, have this all the time, all the time. Yeah, no, and I would actually say that I think that's one of the biggest strengths. I mean, obviously I would say, Um, Fonda herself obviously is an icon and we watch the film now right. with the history of Fonda and right. like and her activism and her strength and, and yeah. her female power and all of those sorts of things yeah. so I think that that adds a layer on top of Barbarella which is why she's obviously become this figure but I think what's so interesting about it when you watch it is that they really they 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 aren't shy about the fact that they they are really enhancing the female form they give her you know extra breasts on top of her breasts they do cutouts in you know like just above her vulva they do all these sorts of things that are very when you say you know masturbatory and they are quite they're quite graphic also masturbatory to whom not to I, me i don't want to masturbate to this <laughs> I, i mean it turns me on but but i would say that that 
that what's actually really impressive is the way that Fonda plays it is actually to play completely away from from the way mm -hmm. she's dressed. And yeah, I think that is that is the genius of her performance is that she completely is fight not fighting, but she's just completely removed that from the physical right. from the physical yeah. from the physical aspects of what was put on top of her which i think makes it very it makes it a very brilliant performance and makes it a, a female yeah. icon performance it's true and then on top of that obviously you get fonderism well i'm annoyed that you saw through my charade of an awkwardly worded question i, want, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to push you on either side no i mean the, the thing for me was that i don't think she's necessarily a strong hero because she's always having to be rescued by the guys and then the guys expect sex for rescuing her um, and she I don't know if you're talking about the there. I don't no. see her that way because of Pygar but uh, she makes no, Pygar able to fly she just, she's but then just the Iceman I mean she has to get saved by the from the killer dolls by the Iceman and it's always like oh hey thanks for saving me and then it's like yeah now give me sex and then I don't know. But she saves Pygar. I mean, I think like also maybe I, I I didn't experience it that way. I think she had like I I don't know. I feel like there's there's a really big sort of um actually also quite like maternal relationship she has with Pygar. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Jesus. Um I agree with you about the Iceman, but I feel like that's actually also setting up the the storyline about this like actually how much she enjoys having regular sex mm, okay. and i think that that he she, yes he saves her to a certain extent but then also she falls down a giant crater so he hasn't really helped her out that much and also she gets a killer outfit she gets the freaking skunk outfit and that, <laughs> oh yeah that and that, that is, is a hilarious <laughs> moment and the way she acts it yeah. is brilliant. so fast it's brilliant yeah. so fast brilliant. yeah she's a great actress uh, the only other point I wanted to bring up about that was uh, about the uh, the the nudity because I think I think it almost falls into that this masturbatory fantasy mm. you know framework that I've set up because uh, I think maybe at the time if she'd have championed it and used or if Vadim had used the nudity of sort of freedom of expression and then maybe it's not as gratuitous but then I was reading about. Like how the production was and stuff, and she was bulimic at the time, mm, really, really pregnant. body conscious, and yeah, right. And uh, I don't, yeah, it just made it seem a bit off then that she wasn't. I agree. I think, but I think is a total asshole. Yeah, I don't. I think you have to take it as separate things. When you say is is Barbarella Jane Fonda, female icon or masturbatory, she's a she is. I would say both, but mm. she is definitely a feminist icon. But and they're not exclusive. The, the movie no, no, as a yeah. whole. Of course not. I've just been a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I mean, like, I think the movie as a whole is a different question because then you do have to look a lot behind the scenes and you find a pitiful amount of women that are behind the scenes of this film. And so, of course, of course it has that connotation. And I, d I don't think all the men behind the behind the camera were like, I want to give, you know, female liberation right, right. real go i just but i think i think yeah, what's yeah. brilliant is that is the is the melting pot inside of inside of the barbarella jane fonda character that happens the way she pays it is very is very subtle and i think um shows a little bit that that kind of probably inward debate she might must have had in her head whilst whilst getting a costume fitting and being like okay well my breasts, my everything. I'm I'm pretty much naked the whole time, and so I think that's interesting. Before shooting in Jane Fonda's memoir, <laughs> before shooting the movie Barbarella, Vadim. So Vadim used to be in a relationship with Brigitte Bardot, and actually Brigitte Bardot was supposed to do she the refused, movie. Yeah. She refused. Imagine what that movie would feel like if if it had been played by Brigitte, Brigitte Bardot, Bardot, who doesn't have this like. She had Brigitte Bardot is a great actress because she she has this bestiality, this like aura mm. that's very cat-like. She's very fe feline, mm. um, but she doesn't have the smarts of Jane Fonda in in her way of acting and especially in acting out Barbarella. Mm -hmm. So it would make it an entirely different movie. S side note ended. Um, but before shooting the movie, Vadim made a comment about how um, he thought. Brigitte Bardot looked amazing and, and the way she moved, Jane Fonda could never achieve. 
And so that really triggered the bulimia in Jane Fonda. And, and this, as she was pregnant, she was 31 years old, pregnant with her first child by Vadim. Mm. Um, and, and she just really had this strong insecurity because Brigitte Bardot had turned down the role and she was doing it. What's your favorite scene? Um, I, my favorite scene, I have to say, I've, we've already, has already been previously mentioned, but it is Jane Fonda post first coital with Iceman <laughs> I love in it. the skunk outfit. Love it. Getting her tail Pippi caught. Pippi Le vibes. But does the tail caught in um, the, in the, in her spaceship is just, just genius. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and, and Barnabas? Mine is Chamber of Dreams. Um, the like moment where I think we don't see Barbara take rooms, but she's like, everything becomes really, really trippy. And she's just kind of walking, dancing it's the around. the 60s, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super cool. I mean, I think the scenery, the <gasps> set design is incredible. The set design, and they built everything custom. I mean, mm. they didn't shoot anything. Everything was uh, shot in a, on a soundstage. So mm. it's like fantastic work. Yeah. Mine's the uh, sex scene. Which sex scene? With uh, Barbarella and Dildano. Not even because I think it's sexy or funny. but uh, This one? This one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is hilarious. Just, just because, also him searching yeah. for the pill the is one of yeah, the yeah. most... I mean, everything about it. this scene is just really funny. Just because they get a great permit at the end. I mean, if you get to have sex and look styling afterwards, then... I think we yeah, her, her hair curls are pretty fantastic. Yeah, so Wait, spend less money yeah. on COVID vaccines and funnel more efforts into space-age bonking drugs, I see. But she's pretty <laughs> bored all the way through, so I'm not I'm not convinced that space-age bonking I, drugs are... But the bo- way she acted is so good. Yes, but I think this is I also... This is, a very, this is a very big cautionary tale for women that yeah, sometimes technology made by men, which is also true of the pill, will also be there to destroy you. And I think this is this is something that we are also learning now. <laughs> as, as we speak. <laughs> as we speak. No, for sure. The the amount of funding that goes into the research of like how other effect, uh, drugs are affected by the fact that you're taking a contraceptive pill are shit. Women do not know how it affects their mental health. They aren't given the proper the proper Education. information. And it affects everybody Education. differently as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I Crazy. think it's a, it's a cautionary tale. I do, I do think that that women have to be careful when a man invents something. Why do you think the reception of the film has changed over time and eventually become a cult classic? Mm. Jane, Jane Fonda. Fonda! Correct. Yes. <laughs> next I think question. that's the next question. There's nothing else. Uh, no, no, you're totally right. Because, uh, I mean, especially just after that, she became a massive activist. And yeah. mm-hmm. she always speaks really candidly about the film and yeah. how she would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the self-awareness. Yeah, helps. yeah, 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 for sure. She's Definitely. fab. No, no, exactly. You, and and I don't, I think you'd find it, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who could watch Barbarella now without the, like, echo of Jane, Jane Fonda, yeah. the person. Yeah. And so it does, I don't think we can even really speak to how it was supposed to be understood because we understand it so much in the context of Fonda. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it was just critically not that acclaimed no. at the time. I mean, I, I mean, think not I, even now, I guess. It's not that good a film. I think the set, it's though. It's mega acclaimed. Are you kidding me? I don't know. Like, Do you reckon? I think I the think sets I, didn't get the, 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 the recognition they deserved. Well, the, the art department and the set design save it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I would say her performance. I I would say her performance. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, I would say the plot line has a, a little bit it's questionable, but no. <laughs> uh, which character do you relate to, if any? And if not, is there anything the in the sex film organ. that particularly resonates with you <laughs> or reminds you of something of your own life? The sex organ. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't. I think. I don't relate to anybody in the film. I think no. it's very hard for me to relate to. People in films when they're like when the the type is so similar, it's like this very perfect vision of femininity, of masculinity as well. So I it's I didn't relate to anybody in the film. However, right now as I'm speaking, I am dressed as the great tyrant. <laughs> so I think I do want to say something about that. Um, yeah, I think she's like a very underrated character. She doesn't get space at all, but she's a very crucial and interesting one. Mm. Um, And I think this idea of 
female absolute power being tyranny and male absolute power being dictatorship is a dichotomy that we want to implode with our mm -hmm. podcast. Like the word tyrant kind of caters to the idea of character and abuse of power because of character, like a sort of evilness and dictatorship is the description. It's, it's a job description. Mm. And I think this kind of comes out, comes down to the dynamic that we want to expose is that um, whenever a woman expresses absolute power, she's just mean and rude and a bitch and, and all these uh, description of her character rather than the scope of her power and, and, you know, the form of it and the access of it. So mm -hmm. I think she, she's a good character to investigate. Yeah, and it flirts with bisexuality also. The right, I mean, this is a little, yeah, this is also a little overdone, yeah. I feel, by Google. Um, yeah, because... But, oh, we're going after Google now. Okay. Oh, okay. Google, bitches. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, so I was doing research for our photo shoot because I am currently dressed as Barbaretta. Ah! And I have to say this was mostly a hair pigment decision, but um, I was looking for... Barbarella and the tyrant photos and a good I would say 50% of them are about a three and a half second clip of the movie in which it looks like Barbarella and the tyrant have sex uh, okay in which the I've, chamber of dreams which yeah, is not right, what right. it's about it's not what it's about and I find I actually I um I found that very interesting make of it what you will but um yeah and I think I think uh, Barnaby's rights, they, they completely diminish the tyrant. And I think she actually is a hugely powerful figure yeah. and a powerful concept as, as, as an example of absolute female power. Cool. Well, uh, I just want to give props to the Iceman. Firstly... He's great. Bloody great costume. Yes! Yeah, I love a photo. I, I love a photo. Also... Put away the pills, baby. Yeah. Let's just go retro. Let's go old school. <laughs> he is old school. Oh, He's yeah. so old school. I, I have to say, I think he, honestly, I think he is her, her probably her true love. Is this was such <laughs> the, the, He could have chosen his words a bit, but he's like, let me make love to you. <laughs> let me make love to you. I think that's quite sweet. <laughs> I think she's kind of going like, oh, here it goes. And yeah, then, but then, and then she's yeah. like, oh, shit, what have I been messing out on? It's like clitoris in the relation. Yes, yeah. exactly. You mentioned the the uh, the great tyrant there already. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the film, Duran Duran calls himself the last great dictator. Dick. Is that because he's paving the way for a vagitator? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, he's not paving the way for shit. shit. This is Vadim's, and and I think the general mentality that a woman cannot be a dictator. That mm -hmm. you have to have a dick to be a dictator. A woman is a tyrant. She's evil when she expresses power. Mm -hmm. But she never really gets the full title. She does the job. She does the work. She runs so Sogo, right? Pogo? Mm -hmm. yeah. she, she runs it. And she is evil. And she has this dude, Duran Duran, um, as head of torture. Because it seems that it's the thing that he's the best at, really. So she's mm -hmm. actually a great leader. Manager you as know? well. She's a great she manager. Knows. She knows. She mingles with the peeps. She's a people person. She's yeah. a people person. You know, as most women are, actually. She gives the people what they want. A lot of sexual pleasure. Yeah. And to smoke she, from the man. I believe she objectifies she everybody equally, men and women. Yeah. So, you know, there is this like, okay, if that's tyranny, first of all, she looks fab. Mm -hmm. And then uh, why not? But Duran Duran is like, I'm the last great dictator. He's destroyed the planet. And his death means that there will be no great dictator. But actually, the great tyrant survives. And she is the next great dictator. But we don't grant her that. We don't grant her the job title, even though she has the qualifications, even though she has, like, put, every, in, the work. put in the work. Yeah. And uh, practiced it for years on end. Mm -hmm. And the guy can't even make a functioning orgasm machine. So. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think that Barbarella breaks it. Uh, breaks oh, she it. breaks it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She of just like, I'm talking about. I know what I like. You the don't orgasm tell me. A couple of last ones just to finish up then. What's your favourite fact or piece of trivia about the film? I mean, I would say we, we've already pretty much discussed it. The, fact the skunk that she was, outfit. The skunk <laughs> outfit is my... Okay, outfits. 
I jump in here. Excuse me. I'm going to men's plane, women's plane, the outfits. The outfits are made by the great Paco Rabanne. And this is my favorite piece of trivia mm. because I have beef with Paco for two reasons. P dog, go on. One, he. So, for background about Paco Rabanne. Paco Rabanne is a Spanish designer from San Sebastian who had to flee to France, immigrated to France. So his family history is very close to my family history. He studied architecture in Paris. And he, so he didn't really study fashion, but as a side job, he was selling buttons to Balenciaga and Givenchy. Um, and that's how he kind of got into fashion. And then in 64, he had this incredible so forward-thinking fashion show called 12 Unwearable Dresses that are made, that are super draggy vibes. So made of plastic, made of paper, and not a single item of clothing was stitched. So, stitched. Um, so it was revolutionary. And the second thing that was revolutionary about Paco Rabanne's 12 Unwearable Dresses was that he had the very first black models on the runway. And Harper Bazaar and Vogue, especially US in 64, spat in his face um, when they saw that. So Paco Rabanne is this incredibly smart and, and forward-thinking figure. I have beef with him for two reasons. One, he sold his name to very cheap, horribly smelling perfumes, perfumes that you can smell in every club. And that smell like the guy you don't want to make out with, yep. but you might. After th that extra and cocktail. Tequila, yes. yes. It happens. <laughs> We've all made up with a guy that was wearing black excess. Yeah, oh my God. Second beef I have with Paco Haban is that he is a time traveler. So he has the ability, or he just self-descripted uh, time traveler. He has the ability to travel through time and space and see the past and the future. And in 1999, he believed that a gigantic magma would rise and burn up all of Paris. And he would go on every single TV show, which, mind you, is the end of Barbarella, the movie. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit ironic. Um, he said on every single French TV show that this would happen. I was nine years old at the time, living in Paris. I didn't sleep for two weeks <laughs> because I thought I was going to burn in magma. So... Great designer, but I have beef, and that's your But trivia. if you're pure like Barbarella, you would have just floated in a bubble. I was not innocent already. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> my trivia was actually not the skunk. It is also something we've also discussed, which is that she was pregnant at okay. the time of filming, and I would like to use it as an opportunity to do a call-out for the fact that women can still work while they're pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Mine was... A lot less poignant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the session musicians who played on the film's original score was none other than David Gilmore of Ooh! Pink Floyd fame. Oh, Ooh! my God. That's interesting. I, that. gun, 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 gun. I actually really like that piece of trivia. I mean, trivia You didn't like gonna... my piece of trivia? I already knew it. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Just you didn't catch me with the element of surprise. Oh, right. I love your piece of trivia. Hmm. Oh. <gasps> it's... Sort of nice, isn't it? Yes, it is nice. In the beginning. That wraps it up, really. We've just got one last, one last thing to do, which is rate the film out of five. Now, can I ask, before we go any further, are you familiar with the star system by which films are rated? No. No. Oh, good. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I think... <laughs> yeah, it's one out of five. 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 five is good. You know? Five is I'm very, 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 I also very. take Uber, you are so I am you familiar are a lot less familiar with it than I, than I expected to be. It's like Uber. Five stars. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. But on here... Okay. Being flicks and scoops, we rate out five scoops. scoops. Rather oh, than stars. plot uh, twist. So, the Vagitators are going to give Barbarella... Five stars? I feel like we no, need to do a point. Okay. Well, okay, I'm going to say 4.5. You can't do points. Can't do points. Can't do points. <gasps> Why can't we do points? Because we're opinionated and we, you know, we don't do averages. Okay. And you, and you, you know, don't go into an ice cream shop and ask for 4.1 scoops of ice cream. I do. No, you can charm your way into the point half, though. <laughs> I mean, I ask for testers all the time. Can I try that one? Can I try that hey, one? Can I try that one? That's charm. That, um, let's call it charm. <laughs> let's call yeah, it charm. We're going with I'm charm. I'm going to say... 
Oh, that's that's hard because I would say four. Let's just say four. Come on. Four. And I would say they have lost the scoop mainly to do with the behind the scenes, behind the camera. Um, Vadim, you just cast Barbarella scoop. Yeah. Because otherwise I would actually, yeah. If I had to base it on Barbarella, the character and Fonda, I'd give it a five. I'd give it a six. I'd give it a ten. Oh, you never Woo! had a six before on this show. I'd give it three. Oh. Three? Why three? Because he's not that good, is it, really? <laughs> I mean, I think it's very of its time. It's a snub. And then, it's a snub. Like, for me, it's, it's very episodic. It's all just like one set piece to another set piece. There's no mm. uh, really much of a thematic one. Mm-hmm. And, and do you like. have, a, have a five-star rated film or five-scoop rated film of the same era? Uh, With the good, a the bad, female lead? Okay. Not with, with a female, a, not female lead. <laughs> no, uh, not with a female lead. Those don't get five scoops. No. This is also another... Uh, anyway, this is another... Yes, it's another... Just listen to our show and you'll yeah. get more of that. <laughs> and where can we find your show? <laughs> you can find it wherever you get your podcast. Yep. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, although we do recommend Instagram because Twitter is kind of <laughs> not our thing. Yeah. We leave that to professional tweetos. Yeah. Do you want to spell it out? I don't the, know how many French people listen to this show. It's at the vegetators. <laughs> Imagine the it's like dictators and you take away the dick and you add the badge. Badge. It's haters. Thanks for doing this. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Peace out, vagination. Thank you. <laughs>